Hi everyone, and welcome to Reflective Thoughts. Last time I spoke, uh, sort of reflective-wise that is, last year, I put up the title, God's Grace is Sufficient. I wanted to sort of expand on that a little bit, not so much in the idea of God's grace being sufficient, but I wanted to talk and reflect a bit about the next step in the Christian journey, which is the process of sanctification. So some of the things that we can think of sometimes when it comes to sanctification is not so much the position or right standing that we have with God when we first come into relationship with him, but what happens after that? What's sort of the process, I guess, if you'd like to put it that way? What do I do with this relationship? And there's a whole process of becoming holy. How do I become holy? How do I become more and more like our Savior? And I guess some of the reflective questions that go with that was things like how can I beat sin or we might have the thought I know what the Bible says about certain issues and topics but when it comes time to obey I fail what am I doing wrong whenever temptation comes why do I seem to fail? And then came the question, is your life or my life reflecting the victory that we crave so badly? If yes, that's great. If not, then what might be some of the reasons why? And so I really wanted to reflect on that last part, like the last question, is your life reflecting the victory that you crave so badly? Now, there are many parts to this. I'm sort of only going to touch on three thoughts or three ideas. And the first one is titled, Guarding Our Hearts. So, one of the reasons that we might fail to walk in holiness is our thought life. Are we guarding our thoughts? When sinful thoughts come to mind, are we quick to dispose of them? The Bible says that we need to protect our minds. If you look at Mark chapter 7, verses 20 to 22, you'll see what Jesus says about protecting the mind. You'll see heart there, but what he's really talking about is our inner self, our mind, our heart, our will, our emotions. All that is the inner man we need to protect. And one of the ways that we protect that is that we take every thought captive 
and make it obedient to the Word of God. That's what the Bible says. We need to understand that we cannot stop sinful thoughts coming into our mind, but we can choose to stop thinking about them as soon as we are aware that they are bad. And the enemy is really quite sneaky. He will try and convince us to pursue that which is temporary, but we must be on our guard. The Bible says the enemy is like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. He might even try to convince us that we are alone. And, you know, one sort of extension of that thought is, you know, the word depression. Just because you are a believer does not mean that you will not suffer from depression. It's not like we're immune from depression just because we're saved. As I was thinking about this, I was reminded that no matter how dark things seem in this life, you are not alone. When you feel trapped and backed into a corner and there seems no way out, you're not alone. Not only are we not alone, but there is a comforter that exists whether we realize it or not, and he lives inside you. I was greatly comforted when I read the following. Not only does the Spirit provide wisdom in uncertainty and doubt, but he also prays when we cannot. Romans at chapter 8 tells us that the Spirit intercedes on our behalf. And that's a really comforting thought, isn't it? Because when we struggle to pray and we don't know where to turn, the Holy Spirit intercedes to the Father for us. Our God is far from impersonal. He cares so much that in our greatest time of need, when we fail to process and understand, the Holy Spirit, independent of ourselves, intercedes to the Father. Keith Warrington reminds me of this, and he says in his book, Pain is not a sign that the Spirit is absent, nor is suffering evidence that his compassion is limited. On the contrary, such experiences are opportunities to benefit and develop. They are not accidents of fate, but opportunities for faith to be exercised and the future changed. It's really powerful, isn't it? The Spirit intercedes to the Father on our behalf. Really powerful. The second thing that we can do is sort of an extension of the first thought. So the first thought, remember, was to guard our hearts and our mind. But that's not enough, is it? We need to fill our minds with good things. And that's the second point. Fill our minds with good things. Philippians chapter 4 verse 8 tells us good things we are to think about. It says things like to think about things that are true and lovely and admirable, beautiful, whatever is good, kind, etc. Philippians chapter 4 verse 8. 
tells us how we are to think. We need to meditate, then, on the victory we have over sin because the Bible declares it so. I don't know how often you think about that. We have victory. We can experience victory. We can have victory over sin because God declares it so. Sin no longer has any power over the believer. Again, I'm going to give you a short quote here from Keith Warrington. He says, Who will care for them in the future? He's talking about Christians. Enabling them to fight temptation and overcome sin. Who will stop the flesh convincing them that they cannot overcome it, meaning sin, who will develop within them the confidence to believe that they can win the battle over sin, who can lead them to victory, but also enable them to fight and defeat the fleshly foe. That's from his book, uh, The Message of the Holy Spirit, by the way. Keith Warrington, good book. We can have victory over sin. We can indeed have victory over sin. We can indeed put to death the deeds of the flesh. And I think the question is, how do we do that? We know that we can have this victory, but we sometimes don't experience it. What can we possibly do to experience victory? Now, God initiates the process of sanctification through the Holy Spirit. Um, so, the how involves guarding our hearts and minds. We fill our hearts and minds with good things. Something else we do is we submit to God. The Bible says, submit first to God, then resist the devil, and he will flee from you. And we can say no to sin by the power of the Holy Spirit. This does not mean, of course, that we are perfect, but it does mean that day by day, year by year, we should be becoming more and more like our Saviour. Some of the other things that we can do is to read and study the Word of God. The Bible says that our minds are transformed by the Word of God. We align ourselves with the will of God. We pray, we fellowship, we trust that the Spirit will guide us in our thought, life, and help us to take captive the disobedient thoughts and fill our minds with the good things, as described in Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. The third point, the third idea, is we are not puppets. Yes, we are God's children if we have accepted Jesus as our Lord and Saviour. If we repent and believe the good news that we are saved because of the work of Jesus on the cross, we are his children. Now what I just mentioned 
many refer to as positional sanctification. That is, we are set apart as God's holy people, and once we are saved, then we are seen as pure, perfect, and holy in the eyes of God because of Christ's redeeming work on the cross. Sanctification, as I've mentioned before, also means that we are becoming more and more like Jesus. We are being transformed from the inside out to live in a way that pleases our Lord. This does not mean, however, that the process of sanctification has nothing to do with us. It is true that God makes us more and more like himself by the power of the Holy Spirit. However, the Holy Spirit is the agent by which this is possible, but it also requires our cooperation. We are not puppets that are controlled by the power of God, rather we are given the ability to walk in victory, but we still have to choose to walk in cooperation with that ability. We place ourselves in a position where God empowers and equips us, and the Bible calls this walking by the Spirit.